We'll be reading from Genesis, the entirety of chapter 40 today. Genesis 40. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you. And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that from beginning to end, your word holds fast and true, that it declares your steadfastness and your faithfulness to all generations. We pray that you will speak to us through your word today. Speak through Ryan. Um, Prepare our hearts and our minds to hear from you. And it's in your sweet name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Anybody have weird dreams? <laughs> we, were, we were sitting around the table this week, 
and uh, I was asking the kids, kind of, a, you know, sermonizing and uh, looking for content. And no, I'm just kidding, but um, kind of, but uh, just happens. It's a casualty when you're a preacher's kid. But um, I said, you know, anybody have any weird dreams? And one of my sons, he said, yeah, Dad, I've been having this really weird dream over Christmas. It's, it's that the Grinch has been trying to break into our house every night. And it's not like the it's not like the 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 pleasant it's the Jim Carrey Grinch like the one that's not you don't want that Grinch in the house. Uh, so we're in a series of uh, messages uh, that we're returning to uh, after Advent season, where we're we're walking through the Book of Genesis, and um, we've been we've been in this series for about a year because we we as a church believe it to be uh, so significant and important to walk through books of the Bible because what it does is it, uh, it, it presses us into the, the whole context of what God is about in his word and what he wants to teach us. We can't pick and choose what we want to hear and what we don't want to hear because we believe that all of God's word is profitable and useful for our souls and our hearts. Amen? So Genesis 40 has something for us this morning, and uh, I'll do my best to, to discern what that is and teach that this morning. Um, the book of Genesis, you know, being the first book in the Bible, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Moses. And what we, what we notice about the book of Genesis is that it, it's, a, it's a book that tells, it's intentional to tell the origins and histories of mankind, God's relationship to mankind in the early years um, in such a way that uh, redem- the redemptive narrative is framed throughout it. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's in there that you think, I well, wonder why they spent so much time on that. And a lot of stuff that's not in there, you know, like Nephilim, like, why didn't he spend more time on that, right? Um, so we got all these questions, but one thing's clear is that there is no, uh, there, there really aren't any gaps as far as uh, the, the narrative of redemptive history, right? That's clear in the book of Genesis. So that's what is best for us to focus on. And one of the other things we see about the book of Genesis is that um, it does not paint the story of humanity uh, with rose-colored glasses, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it's not um, embarrassed to talk about the real nature of mankind. The story is real and the, the narratives are true about just how bad sin can be in the world, but even more so, just how good and gracious our creator, sustainer, and deliverer is. So in this book, we've encountered many stories over, over the last year that, that we feel familiar with, that we could insert, we could take out the name of the person and put our name in. And that's because, if we're honest, human nature is not all that unique, is it? And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to pick up uh, with the story of Joseph. We had just gotten introduced to Joseph before Christmas, and now we're going to pick up. But I want to give you a little bit of context, not about the whole book of Genesis, but just about Joseph. Okay, so um, Joseph is a character in the Bible uh, that seems to absolutely have it all. He is the favored son of his father and his mother, um, and he has 10 older half-brothers and one younger full brother. You know, they become the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And, and, uh, and in his younger years, he didn't think, he was, he was he, you could describe him as, as pretty cocky and arrogant, to be honest. And uh, he didn't think twice about telling on his older brothers in Genesis 37 too, when he when he had the chance in their wrongdoing. And because of this, uh, you've got the favorite son, you've got all the other brothers that are bad. And then because he's the favorite son, the, the father in his sin just absolutely 
throws this robe on Joseph to just announce to the world that he's the favorite son. And as you can imagine, this causes some problems with the other boys in the family. And uh, as a 17-year-old young man, the Lord, uh, not, only, not only does he have this coat, but he has these, these revelations. These, he's, able to, he's able to interpret these dreams. It's been a part of his story the whole time. Um, and so he has this dream about two different dreams. And what you notice in the Bible, and we'll look at it next week, is that anytime that there's two dreams, it, it, it's to instill more certainty that it's actually from God. We'll see that in Genesis 41. But um, he has these two dreams. One, one is about this sheaf that rises up, the sheaf of grain that rises up, and all the other sheafs bow down to it, which is to, uh, to, to insinuate uh, his relationship to be far superior to the other brothers, and they'll bow down to him and serve him. Then he has another similar one about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the planets, and they are all, they're all bowing down to him, even his mother uh, and his father. So these dreams are interpreted uh, to the brothers, to the family, and it is just too much for the brothers to take. And so Joseph is tasked by his father, Jacob, or also known as Israel, to come and to check on his older brothers who are in a, a distant land. And um, he goes, and, he, and as they see him arriving in that land, they, Judah, one of the brothers, gets this idea, let's get rid of him forever. That'll never know. We can just make up a story. We can cover it up. And so what they do is they, they, they actually sell their little brother um, into slavery uh, to these Midianite traders who are headed to Egypt. And so um, he gets into Egypt as a slave, and he, and he goes into the, like the second highest ranking person's house, uh, the, the Potiphar's house, and he is a servant in Potiphar's house. And um, he's serving faithfully there, and, and uh, we're not told how long that he's in Potiphar's house and how long he's in this prison that we're going to talk about today, but it's a total of 12 years. I don't know how the breakdown happens. The scripture's not clear on that. But Potiphar's wife uh, decides that she wants a relationship with Joseph. And so he is just in turmoil every single day that he comes into the, to the office, right? And he is he's seduced by her day in, day out. And finally, one day, she just says, I'm going for it. She, she seizes him, and he escapes, and she keeps his cloak. And that's just enough evidence to get him thrown into prison. And that's where we pick up today. Where we pick up today is we have this man, Joseph, called by God, destined for fullness of life in the kingdom of God, under the favor of the Father, yet unjustly enslaved and imprisoned for 12 years. Many of us in the room today know the pain of sin well. You, know it in, you might know it in a way similar to Joseph. You might know it in a way that uh, maybe has more to do with the consequences of your own sin. It doesn't really matter where the pain comes from and how it got to you, but that it's there this morning. We know how our souls get confused and how we know better in our hearts, but we might just keep on doing the same old thing. Or maybe we keep getting hurt by others, as in Joseph's case, and the promises of God for a full life of flourishing seem just so dim to us. It doesn't matter where you're at, but we can barely see them. In 1773, there was this man named William Cooper who knew the pain of sin well. He was a man like me and like you, a man who battled on and off with deep depression. And church, let's be real, he battled on and off with depression not only before he was a believer, but after he was a believer, attempting suicide at least five times. And he was befriended by this guy named John Newton, who you probably know who wrote um, 
the hymn Amazing Grace, the most famous hymn of all time. And uh, he was a writer, and he began to write about the pain in his heart. He began to process the pain in his heart, that mystery of, of having the promises of God in one hand, but the pain of sin in the other. And he penned this, this poem that I, I think really describes the Joseph experience in this world pretty well. And it's called Light Shining Out of Darkness. And I'm going to read the lyrics to you, and later we're going to sing them together. The poem goes like this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea, and he rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never fading, failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs, and he works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you so much dread in this world, they're actually big with mercy, and they're going to break. And when they break, they're going to break in blessings on your head, Cooper writes. Judge not the Lord with your feeble sense, but instead trust him for his grace. Behind what seems to be a frowning providence, he actually hides a smiling face. His purposes in our lives will ripen fast. They'll unfold every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to lead us to error and scan or make assumptions about his work in vain. God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. In every verse of this poem, there is this tension. There is this sorrow over sin in the one hand and grief that accompanies it. And there is the grandeur of God on the other hand. And I love this hymn because we all have a hard time living in this tension, don't we? Each and every one of us feel like Joseph at times. We're tempted to put a period on our journey toward Jesus to declare that God has done all that he's going to do. But church, and don't miss this, we cannot put a period where God has put a comma. You never know what God is up to. We are promised on one hand that this world, as Genesis 6 says, is full of sin. It's, it's deceptive. It's wicked. But on the other hand, for those that love God, that he's working all things together for our good. All things. That is the tension that we live in. That is the mystery that we are faced with each and every day in this kingdom. And here's our big idea for today. Maturing as Christians means that the Lord is ever increasingly becoming the only trusted interpreter of our circumstances. You know, as followers of Jesus, we all walk through this world trying to interpret or make sense of the circumstances of our lives and reconcile them with what we know to be true about who God is. I was just having a conversation with a dear brother this week who told me that he was so confident about heaven, so sure about heaven, so filled with joy when he thought about heaven until he lost someone that he loved so deeply, and now the confidence is hard to place. That's real, church. That's the real mystery of what it looks like to live in the kingdom 
of God. And in these moments, when our circumstances overwhelm us, like where Joseph's at, is we, we search, we grasp for some type of interpretive device to help us interpret the circumstances that we are bearing and that we're going through and reconcile those with what God has said to be true of us. Who do you trust to help you interpret the circumstances of your life? Do you trust yourself? Do you trust the latest news headlines as you turn on the TV or scroll through the news feed? Do you trust the stock market? Do you trust your own education, your own ability to pull it together? Do you trust your family? Or do you just leave it up to, to karma, some, some good vibes, right? I can tell you some amazing, amazing people who have had to endure some terrible, terrible things. And each and every event has been within the hand of God for each and every one of us. And we must return to him as the great interpreter of our circumstances if we're ever going to find any comfort in this world. And we're going to see this clearly in Joseph's life today. So a few things that I want to look at about Joseph's life in, in Genesis 40. I'm not going to read all the way through Genesis 40 again. We've heard the story. But I want to look at the providence of God, what that is, how it's playing out in Joseph's life. I want, I want to look at like what it would mean for us, for, for the Lord, for Jesus Christ himself, to be the greatest interpretive device for us to make sense of life in this world. And lastly, I want to look at the faithfulness of God in the midst of our pain. So let's dig into that providence piece here. Here's what we see is that kingdom usefulness and prosperity is God-given. It's not self-generated. So what we see in Joseph's life is God's work of providence. God permits Joseph to be misunderstood, to be taken advantage of, to be sinned against greatly, to bring about his amazing plan of redemption and restoration, not only in Joseph's life, not only in Joseph's family, but in the world. And the thing is, is that Joseph couldn't see it at all until the end of Genesis. You see, it'd be one thing if we could start with Genesis 50, 20 right now, right? You know, what you meant for evil, God used for good. If we could start there, that'd be helpful. But you can never see that and discover that until you're on the back end of it, right? And so Joseph is, in, is enduring these works of, of, of providence and, and, and I just want to put a, a little definition on what providence means. And the, the, the Shorter Catechism has a great solution for that for us. So, you know, the way a catechism works is it asks a question and you give an answer. And so the Shorter Catechism says this, what are God's works of providence? And the answer is this, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving or keeping and governing or controlling all his creatures and all their actions. In other words, nothing is outside of the control and reign of God. And as terrifying as that might be to you, the adverse is far more terrifying to serve and follow a God who is at the mercy of our circumstances. That's not who he is. So here in Genesis 40, we have Joseph who has this relationship with God. God is speaking with him. He has this ongoing communion with God. It's dark. It's mystery. It's full of mystery. But he finds himself unjustly imprisoned for at least these 12 years. And not only is he imprisoned and a slave, but now he is a slave to prisoners. He has been entrusted to, to, be, a, to be a slave to these two servants. So who are these two characters? These were two employees of the Pharaoh that committed 
these perceived offenses against his life that, that ends them up in this, this prison. And Joseph is serving them. Um, and we're not told if they attempted to poison Pharaoh. I mean, that would, have been, that would have been within the realm of possibilities. Or if he just got sick and blamed them because he was having a bad day. We're not sure. But there were a cupbearer and a baker. And you're thinking, okay, a cupbearer and a baker, they're not really that important. Well, when you've got a dictatorship that you're trying to keep in line, a cupbearer and a baker are pretty important people. Because what does a cupbearer do? A cupbearer ensures the purity of the drink that the Pharaoh is about to consume. In other words, if somebody put some magic potion in there that was going to poison him, the cupbearer takes the hit first. He's like a bodyguard, right? The same thing for the baker, right? He's not just, you know, back there making some delicious treats, but he's ensuring the quality of the food that the Pharaoh will consume. So these guys, these guys each have these dreams, and they are troubled. I mean, they are worse than the Grinch, I think. They're, they're, it's, it's a bad dream. And, uh, and so we pick up in Genesis 47 and 8, and, uh, and here's, what the, here's what the scriptures say. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him, Joseph does, um, in custody, why are your faces downcast today? In other words, Joseph is attentive to the emotional well-being of those that he is serving. He notices that they're troubled. There's something going on. There's something worse than prison going on in their souls. And uh, they said to him, hey, bro, we've had these dreams, all right? And uh, here's the problem. There's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me. These guys have these dreams, right? And in this day and age, contextually speaking, dreams had to be interpreted because they revealed meaning about the outside world. You got to remember, these guys aren't Hebrews. They're not Israelites. They don't have the same worldview that Joseph has about the sovereign God that we've been talking about this morning. And so they're looking, they're, they're grasping and looking for any meaning outside of this world. And, um, and so there, there were these dream readers. That, that was their full-time job. I mean, I mean, we have like tarot card readers. and stuff. I mean, you get the picture. It's that kind of a thing. There are these dream readers that would help, help basically interpret the, these visions and dreams that people would have and what it would mean for their lives. And, uh, and they would, you know, they would, they would interpret these through these dream books and all this kind of stuff. But they're in prison, so they've got no rights to be able to approach a dream reader. And so uh, what happens next is that Joseph declares that God's plan for each of our lives is really up to him, right? Because he says, do not interpretations belong to God. So th- the circumstance that they're in is that they are deeply troubled, um, it, basically, it would, be, it would be like this right here. It would be uh, as if, I had a note in here. I can't find it. Anyway, I'm going to spitball this. Um, it, would, it would basically be like this. It would be like getting a diagnosis without a prognosis. That's what it would be like in this day and age to get, uh, to, to have a dream and not have an interpreter. So, you know, you start getting weird symptoms. What do you do? The first thing that you do, I guarantee is you go to who? Mm, not the Holy Spirit. You go to Google. <laughs> so imagine this. Put yourself in this place. You got these weird symptoms. You go to Google, and you just trust whatever Google says. And, of course, Google says you're all going to die, right? I mean, basically, that's what it says. So it'd be like not, not consulting with a physician about these symptoms and just trusting Google. It'd be like this no man's land that you're in. That's where these guys are at. 
And so Joseph says, hey, look, interpretations belong to the Lord. He's the one that interprets our lives. And he declares that. And so um, the, the one thing I want you to see about this is that, um, you know, basically here's what happens is, is the, the two interpretations are really, really pretty simple. One guy, uh, the cupbearer, has, has a dream about these, these three branches on the vine. And, and basically the interpretation of it leads him to he's going to be restored to his work. Now, you know, you get the impression that the baker um, was a little bit of a deceptive guy, maybe the guilty party, because he's holding out to see how it goes for the cupbearer. He's like, hey, I'm going to see how it goes with this guy, and then maybe, maybe I'll share. And so it's favorable for him, so he shares. And, um, and, and obviously the news isn't good for him, and both of, the pro- both of the prophecies, both the interpretations are true. But the thing that I want you to see in this, um, I want you to see what God is doing through Joseph even in his misery, even in his pain. And what is he doing? He is using him in his kingdom. He is using him in his kingdom. I think many times we relegate usefulness in the kingdom of God to only occur when our circumstances are favorable. In other words, when we're at our best, when we're planning for God to use us, God, use me. This was not true for Joseph. This is not true for you. So many times we are sidelined in the kingdom ministry that God has called us to because we think that we are unfit for the work. In fact, I have many, I meet many new believers that say, you know, if only I could learn more of God's word, if only I could have more experience in ministry, then I could be useful in the kingdom of God. But you know what I find to be true as a pastor is that some of the most gifted and useful people in the kingdom of God are brand new believers. They're so hungry, they're so eager. No matter what it is that you're going through today, do you see yourself as useful in God's kingdom? Do you see yourself as someone that God desires to use in God's kingdom? Maybe you have endured tragic pain. Can God use you right now? Maybe you are even having doubts about your relationship with God. Could God be using you Right now, because if Joseph were to say, you know, I'm in prison, God can't use me here, this whole story would not make any sense to us. What is the metric that you use to assess usefulness in God's kingdom in your life? Because it's not how long you followed God. If that were the case, the church would have never been planted, right? It's not how obedient you've been. In fact, many times God uses our disobedience as he draws us to repentance to make us most useful in his kingdom. Friends, we can lay down our heads at night and put our hands to the plow tomorrow and endure much pain because God is providentially directing each and every one of our lives. Is the providential working of God a comfort or a conflict for you today? Are there any things in your life that that make you think, yeah, I'm just not useful in God's kingdom? Because that wasn't the, the case for Joseph. Let's keep going here. Let's look at this idea of interpretation. So Jesus, Jesus is ultimately the only way to interpret the circumstances of our lives. So the pain, the trial, the suffering, whether it's self-inflicted or inflicted by others, with the ultimate plan of God that we're going to flourish and he's working all things together. We, we live in that tension. Jesus is the only one that, that keeps us in that tension, right? Because he says it in Genesis 40, 56, like, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me. And I think this is the key verse to this whole narrative today. These guys were such, in such a precarious situation, a place to be. 
And, uh, and they're terrified because their worldview does not lend them to any comfort in their circumstances. And you'll find that this to be the case, is that um, if, if, you're, if you're not a believer um, and you suffer tremendously and you're not a part of a body of believers, you will find yourself very lonely and very isolated. In fact, I think the church shines the best in our lives when our circumstances are the worst. I think it's the, the case in every church. And so we see these guys, they're, they're in terrible circumstances. There's no comfort to be found. You know, following the gods of Pharaoh is of no comfort to them. And, um, and you know, so what do we do with this gap? What do we do with this gap that we have uh, between our circumstances and God's promises? And I, I think the first thing we've got to realize is this, is that God put that gap inside of us. He's providentially ordained that gap. Isaiah 55 says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, that gap that exists between your circumstances and your experiences and who you see God to be is put there by the Lord. And it's put there by the Lord so, as Acts 17 says, you will search and find him. That's why God puts the gap in us, so that we will seek his face. And in your searching, if you're not yet a believer, or if you're a believer that's kind of gone off the trail a bit, you will search, you will, you will, you, you will, um, that gap will lead you to search in the wrong areas, the wrong idols you will chase down. But ultimately, we will find that it's only through the Lord that we'll have any comfort in the midst of that gap that we're talking about today. So the Lord, in his mercy and kindness, does something amazing about our wandering. He gives us a key, a key to make sense out of suffering, a key to help us endure the mystery, a key to unlock the mystery, and his key is sufficient enough to move through the mystery. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 states this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In other words, through prophecies, through dreams, through visions, through healings, through miracles. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews says something, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created this world. And he is the radiance. What is radiance? It's, it's emitted heat. It is the felt presence of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what's that mean for us that tend to find ourselves in mystery like this cupbearer and this baker? that tend to find ourselves squirming in this place, not understanding why God has placed us providentially where he's placed us. We can spend our lives guessing about God's will. You know, playing back the tape, like when I was a kid, they had these choose-your-own-adventure books, and basically you'd read one page and it'd put you in this, like, dilemma, and you'd be like, go to page 47 or page 64, like, choose your adventure. Go to page 47, it'd be like something terrible. You're like, I'm going back to page 64, like, you know, like, I think, I think a lot of times we think like that um, in our experience in this world. We say, if I would have only done this. That's not what God asks us to do, though. 
you know, some of us run around and we just look for a sign. We kind of get superstitious and super spiritual and we mess around with kind of modern day horoscopes or, I mean, even like something like as, as good as the Enneagram could be, it can be just as deceptive as anything else, right? It can be, it can lead you down this rabbit trail that leads you away from Jesus. It leads you to more of yourself. It could be political pressures, predictions about, here's a good one, predictions about people who have been to heaven and we trust what this guy says about his heaven experience instead of what God's revealed word says, right? What do you use what do you trust to interpret your circumstances? Because God has this great, big, huge answer that the church spends a lot of time ignoring. We can spend our time doing this, going down all of these rabbit trails, and completely neglect the most profound and life-giving interpretive device given to us from the Father in heaven. His son. His son is how we make sense of suffering. Didn't he suffer for sinners even to the point of death? His son is why we don't give up when it gets hard. Didn't he, for the joy set before him, endure the cross? His son is who leans into the lives of broken sinners instead of being repelled by them when everyone else gives up. His son, who is, was betrayed and forgotten by his closest friend, yet calls us brothers and sisters as we were those that betrayed him. His son who was murdered on a cross and raised from the dead that he might bring the lost home with him forever. His son. His son is the answer. And this isn't me like Jesus juking. You go, okay, of course, preacher, Jesus. You know, this isn't that. We never get to the bottom of his son. If you think that you've gotten to the bottom of Jesus Christ, you are, you are blinded by your sin. You never get to the bottom of the riches of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen? You never get there. His son. Do you know his son? The Bible says that Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 2, 17... That Jesus became like us in every way. Do you know why he came, became like us in every way? Was it so he could say, been there, done that? No, it was so that he could be a faithful high priest. You know what a faithful high priest does? They intercede on behalf of the people that they represent. Jesus is right now representing you before the Father in heaven, knowing exactly what you're going through, exactly the gap that exists in your circumstance and his promises, and he's representing you. As the son of God. And he's representing you in such a way that empathizes and sympathizes with your weakness. He's the God of all comfort. But also, he's doing something. He has done something about what has separated us from our father in the first place. He's brought us near. And he will continue to be the son of God in bodily form forevermore representing his people to their father in heaven. Until we see him face to face Again, his son. We never get to the bottom of his son. There is a great danger in overemphasizing the possibility of the miraculous. And I'm, I get, again, guys, you know me. I'm not this hardcore cessationist. I think, that, I think that miracles still happen. I think that God still does things that we can't explain. I think mystery exists. 
But if we're depending on that more than we are the revealed word of God, we might be in trouble, right? We, we probably are in trouble. There's a great danger in overemphasizing the possibility of the miraculous intervention of God at the expense of the ordinary and certain revelation of God that you have in your hands right now. The mysteries of our lives are intended to drive us to his son. Lastly, I want to land the plane with this. Talk about the faithfulness of God. So we look at Joseph's story. We see that God is faithfully present in the painful years of his story and our story. Joseph is not this, he's, he's not this hardened and, and, and calloused, arrogant, favored son of God. He's wearing his robe around and bragging all the time. Instead, no, he's, turned, he's transformed into this tender and compassionate and present man of God. He's present with these two very broken unbelievers that have been terrified by this dream in the face of their conviction. And he opens up his heart to them, especially the cupbearer. Do you remember what he says? Verses 14 and 15. He says, Only remember me when it's well with you, Mr. Cupbearer. And please do me this kindness to mention me to Pharaoh so that I can get out of this house. Been here 11 years. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that should be put into this pit. Joseph is human like me and you. He's suffering and it hurts. And there's some pain in these years that is stamped onto his life. Just like there's some pain in your life right now. That I, I, I just be honest, it's not going to go away ever. Until Jesus comes and he makes all things new, you're going to... The, 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 de- the thing that you thought was a detour that you wanted to avoid is the path forward now. But that's not a problem for God. It's not a problem for God that you're going to walk with this limp for the rest of your life. It's not a problem for God. He'll never get over these lost 11 or 12 years. He'll never get fully over what his brothers did to him, even though he'll forgive them and be reconciled. But he will get through them. Genesis 40, 23 says this, and the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. But do you know who remembers Joseph? You know who remembers you? You know who remembers me? When other people forget about us? Jesus does. And he promises that he's using the pain and the suffering and the trial and the temptation to do something in us that we can never do for ourselves. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith it produces the steadfastness that we sang about this morning. And let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, it has a purpose. It's accomplishing. The suffering isn't in vain. The pain isn't in vain. The, wa- the, the seemingly wasted years are not in vain. But... There's an intention, a full effect on God's providence that you may be perfect and complete in God's eyes, lacking in nothing. See, most of us think about being perfect and complete means that we don't have to deal with the suffering, the trial, and the temptation. Jesus says life in this world means is that you see God as steadfast as you endure. And that the Lord was making Joseph into a man for such a time as he wouldn't face The Lord is making you into a man, into a woman for such a time that you will face 
such a circumstance that you will endure, such a person that someone else in this world is going to need to hear the word of God through. It's not an accident. According to James 1, God is perfecting Joseph for what he providentially has before him. The same way he did it for Paul when he said, let me show him how much he must suffer for my sake as he plants the global church. The same way he did for Peter, like Patrick preached about last week when he said, let me show him what kind of death he's going to die after he restored him. The pain doesn't negate the usefulness. God is perfecting and he does not make mistakes. What a mystery that is for us, isn't it? Years ago, I was picking up a youth pastor friend of mine. Early in the morning, we were going on a trip to New York City to scout out this this uh, mission trip we're going to do. We took 50 kids to New York City. It was wild. We only lost one, but we found them. <laughs> so I'm kidding. Rush hour on the subway is no joke. Anyway, I was picking him up, and I'll never forget, man, Nick got in the car, and he looked like he saw a ghost. I mean, it, he was, like, terrified. He was, like, sweaty and disheveled. I was like, dude, what happened? And he said, dude, I just had this wild dream. Uh, he said, it was this dream where I was forced to go down into this dark basement. And in the basement, there were these three memories of the worst moments of my life. And he told me more in detail. I won't go into that. But, uh, he, and he's like, some of which no one knows about but me. And he said, it seemed like this nightmare. And I woke up in this kind of sweaty puddle, panicky mess. And he's like, I didn't want to go back to sleep, so I just stayed awake. Because you know what happens when you have a dream and it's a bad one. You don't want to go back to sleep because you're afraid you'll pick up where you left off, right? He's like, I don't want to go back to sleep. And, uh, and so he wakes up and he says, I did the only thing I knew to do. I opened God's word. He said, I turned to Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you, Nick. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed, Nick. And he said, Ryan, here's what I saw. He was in the basement before I got down there. Romans 8.38. For I'm sure that neither life nor death nor angels or rulers or things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, Ryan, there's nothing down in that basement that can snatch me from Christ. I am his. And I said, amen, brother. He was preaching to me. And I was just stunned because his dream started out as this isolated, fearful place, the basement. But as a believer, he realized that the, the basement was just another place to find Jesus. You know, we've all got our own basements. The places and stories we'd rather tuck away and never remember. Joseph had his too. Today, as we turn to this table, I want to invite you to open the door to that basement and see the Lord present with you there and surrender more fully to his answer for the mystery of our lives which is his son. Let's pray together. Father, thanks, uh, oh man, thanks for your word. Lord, we'd be so lost without your word. Lord, I ask that you would give us just a deeper hunger for your word, a deeper longing for your word. Lord, that we would, like those Bereans, try to search out and find out, we try to find the bottom of who Jesus is. And we know that we never will. God, would you show us how, 
uh, the ways of this world and trying to make sense of our lives and our circumstances are so empty, Lord. Would you show us that? Would you make the, your answer to the gaps in our life, your answer of your son Jesus, be more of a delight than it ever has been in our lives? Lord, would you do, do, would you do immeasurably all more than, than we could imagine, Lord, as we seek your face? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.